Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast, where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impact. In today's podcast, I'm going to be suggesting three ways in which you can really fundamentally motivate yourself to achieve impacts from your research. But before we do that, I'd like to give you my research impact tip of the week. Today's tip is to use the app Evernote to work with your research team to capture and aggregate impacts on the go as they arise. Now this is a tip that I've got from uh, an organisation called Research to Action. Uh, On Twitter they are Research Number 2 Action uh, and uh, and their website is researchtoaction.org, well worth checking them out. I think what is really useful about this as a tip is how easy it is to use the app Evernote and how many of us have got it. But even if you don't have the app, it's incredibly easy for other people to still use this as a tool, as part of your team, to add into whatever impacts you're trying to collect about your research as you go. Now, there are quite a a lot of cool functions that uh, this particular app has, which is, I think, why it has now become quite so uh, commonly used. Uh, One of these is that you can uh, capture uh, an email and uh, forward that to one of your notebooks in Evernote. So I have lots of different themed notebooks, work notebooks, personal notebooks. Uh, So uh, you can organise your notes in these kinds of ways. I also now have uh, uh, an impact notebook uh, in my Evernote. And so this means now that uh, when an email comes through, uh, which is, say, inviting me to something or telling me about something where someone's noticed an impact that has occurred linked to my research, without ever having to even leave my email program, I simply forward that to my Evernote email address. So uh, I've gone to my settings and I can see everyone who has this app has their own unique Evernote email address. And I've just saved that as uh, Evernote in, um, in my contacts. So I just type in the word Evernote and it then forwards to my, uh, to my app. And this now means that Uh, Whenever I've got an email that I want to capture and make sure I don't lose, just in case uh, I do have some kind of email meltdown and lose everything, uh, I know that these are now backed up and stored in a very relevant place that I can look in later in Evernote. Now, uh, what I'm doing is I'm uh, adding uh, at the end of the subject line uh, the at sign and then impact, which is the name of the notebook that I've got it in, so it doesn't just go into the default notebook that I use. Uh, And I'm also then adding a tag, so I'm working on three different impact case studies at the moment. So in this case, uh, this evening I've just uh, added a a couple of emails uh, and put the tag UNCCD after the UN convention I'm working on uh, for that particular impact. And uh, I've also just been clipping some uh, websites, so you can download an extension to most common uh, browsers 
that uh, enables you to just click a button and it then captures whatever web page you are on, either it's the web page or a, a screenshot of it. You can again add tags to it, you can send it to the relevant uh, notebook, in this case my impact notebook, you can add uh, annotations to that uh, as well. Uh, in addition to this, the emails that get sent, if they have attachments, PDFs, Word files, for example, they go into the node as well, and you can then search them. Uh, if you want, you can then uh, annotate uh, those PDFs and, and Word files as well. Uh, and if you have uh, photographs, videos of events, for example, uh, as you're capturing them, you can just uh, instantly upload them to your Evernote uh, and put it into the relevant notebook so that's captured along with the rest of your uh, impact. Now, the great thing about this is that it's not just for people who have this app and who already can use this. Uh, a lot of these functions are on the premium version of this, which I think costs £34.99 uh, per year. Uh, if you don't have the premium version, or if you don't have it at all, then uh, you can still send stuff to one person in your project who has this. So if you've got one person who's got that uh, program and they've got a notebook which they've in this case called impact then uh, anyone in your team now can email to your uh, evernote email address whatever stuff they might have whether it's photos videos other emails documents that they want to capture for posterity as part of your project's impact and they can add the same uh, instructions at impact and any hashtags that you've decided to uh, use so that you can easily search through for the impacts for your particular project and they just instantly then appear uh, as and when people send that stuff in in uh, the relevant notebook on Evernote. Finally, one of the most powerful things about this, I think, is the fact that uh, as a team you can now share this notebook. It isn't just on your computer, so anyone else who's got Evernote uh, can now access that. They can share it and it can now sit in their Evernote on their phone, on their computer or whatever uh, device they're using to use the app. Uh, and they can add things to it uh, using the app interface if they want. But you can also now have team discussions uh, next to that uh, notebook uh, alongside the things that you're capturing uh, if you want. So a fairly easy to use for most of us, quite a familiar kind of interface, uh, kind of way that you can now collaboratively get people to uh, input stuff to a single place where you can all access this stuff that's in theory backed up on a cloud somewhere. Uh, here's hoping Evernote doesn't crash, but <laughs> you never know. Uh, and uh, for me, a fantastic way of really making sure that you all keep on top of capturing impacts as they occur. So my tip this week, use Evernote to capture your impacts on the go collaboratively. Okay, so now for the, the main segment today, and I, I want to think with you about uh, the motives that we each bring to impact. Why is it that some of us are motivated to achieve impact from our research? And what are the very different motives that we each bring 
to this. And I think it's really important to recognise and celebrate the very wide range of different motivations that underpin what we do when we engage with people outside the academy. So I want to start by asking, what is it that motivates you to be a researcher? Forget for the moment about what might motivate you to engage uh, with things that generate impact. Well, what is it that motivates you to be a researcher? Why do you do the job that you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What uh, stirs you up, lights your fire? What is it that really gets you passionate and makes you feel at the end of the day like you did something that was really worthwhile? Now, I think when we extend this now to impact, very often we will say uh, one of two things. There may be an extrinsic motivation for us to engage with impact as part of that job, and there may be an intrinsic motivation to engage with this. Now, the extrinsic motivations are a fairly recent thing uh, in academia. Uh, for many of us now, our next promotion uh, and that next pay rise may in fact depend not just on whether we got that big grant and whether we managed to publish the right number of papers in the right journals. Increasingly, it's about whether we actually achieved impact to a particular level and these things are being counted and do count when it comes to promotions. What I want to focus on, though, is the intrinsic motivations for impact that perhaps might connect with that thought process as we try and get out of bed in the morning, as we walk home from work and get that sense of a, a warm glow of satisfaction that we did something worthwhile. And I'm going to suggest that there are three common motivations that researchers have for engaging in impact uh, intrinsically. And the first of these is that many of us uh, figure that we just want to give something back. We want to make the world a better place. We want to do something that will make people feel better or be better or uh, will bring healing or reconciliation or uh, avoid bad things from happening in the world. And very often it's a very small thing. Uh, for most of us, we're working in quite narrow fields. We can't change the world in that kind of big, dramatic way. It's, it's usually a step-by-step -step thing. It's a particular group of people, particular issue that we can make our mark on, that we can really uh, help to, to solve or, or to bring uh, some good to. Now, the second of these motives uh, is uh, perhaps uh, less obvious that we would be doing impact for this reason, but I think for many of us, this, this, this motive is there, whether we admit it or like to admit it uh, or not. And it's this desire to be known, to be recognised and to leave a legacy, some kind of mark on the world that said, I was here, I did something that was worthwhile. And ultimately, this is an egotistical motive, this desire to be known as an expert, to be recognised as someone who is doing something of meaning and that is worthwhile and is valued by the world. Uh, and for many academics, uh, you can get this quite happily just by 
doing what you do as a researcher and getting that sense of recognition from others within your own discipline. But what many people uh, tell me is that they experience this even more powerfully when they extend their work and start to go beyond the academy. Now, this may be that uh, you're getting media coverage. Now you are being recognised by the general public. Uh, it may be now that, uh, that you have a name which is being recognised. It may be that because of that, uh, that, that exposure that your work is having now, that you're getting invited to do keynote talks at, uh, at conferences, that you're getting invited to uh, go on to committees and, and uh, explain things to, to government and advise important and powerful people now related to your research. If that is fundamentally what is uh, something, something that drives you, that gets you out of bed, that gives you that sense of satisfaction, that you are recognised, that you are valued, then perhaps uh, engaging with impact might uh, enhance that motivation. Uh, finally, I think, uh, for me, one of the most common reasons that I hear uh, for, for researchers to become researchers is an innate sense of curiosity. Uh, a, a sense of wonderment about the world, trying to understand why it is that things happen the way they do, why people are the way they are, uh, how it is that things work. And uh, I think that uh, impact can engage with that motive as well. In my experience, people who are motivated by curiosity, when they become curious about the impact that they can have. They discover that actually by working with people outside the academy, very often they can actually do more and better research, which enables them to ask more powerful research questions. They can get bigger sample sizes, they get more funding, whatever. But beyond that, even if it doesn't have that effect, what I think very often happens is that when people start to move beyond their disciplinary confines and beyond the walls of the academy, they discover that actually there are a whole load of other questions that they never even dreamt of asking. And now as a result of those engagements outside the academy, they are asking even more fascinating questions that enthrall them even more than they ever imagined was possible when they first went into research. Now, uh, these intrinsic motives that I've discussed, um, whether it's making the world a better place, being known and leaving a legacy, or that sense of innate curiosity, I think range uh, along a continuum from being more altruistic to more egotistical. Now, I think the reality is that uh, many of us would say that, well, it's not just one of those motives. Uh, maybe it's two, or perhaps it's all three of those motives that actually get me out of bed, or on any single day, I might get that warm glow of satisfaction from any one of those different motives. Uh, and I think that we're probably just being real and honest with ourselves if we admit that actually mixed in with our motives, there probably is that element of, of egoism. Uh, I think that by making that explicit, though, it's, it's really important because when we discover, when we become aware that we are primarily uh, acting out of an egotistical motivation, it's worth just uh, setting up a few warning flags in our mind, little, a few little alarm bells that say, well, hold on a minute, uh, when I'm engaging with impact for these motives, 
is there a danger that actually I'm using stakeholders, I'm using the public, I'm using this impact agenda for something which is only going to uh, achieve good for me and that will actually in the long run uh, be negative uh, or have some kind of unintended consequence for the people that I'm working with. Uh, and of course that isn't always the case. Very often it's a win-win, but I think we need to, to be aware of that and, uh, and, and just call that to consciousness to avoid those more e egotistical motives from, from actually messing things up. Now, if you are motivated by impact for any of these three reasons, or perhaps there's another reason that you can, that you can come up with other than the ones I've suggested here, uh, I want to ask you now, how does this get reflected in your priorities? Uh, is impact a priority for you uh, somewhere in the mix? Every month, perhaps every week or two, you will make sure you do something that connects with that and that satisfies that motive to achieve impact. Perhaps actually it's, it's a daily thing or you know, pretty much every day you're doing something that connects with those motives uh, and uh, actually achieves some kind of step towards uh, an impact. Uh, I think that the most successful researchers are the researchers who ruthlessly prioritise. Uh, I know a lot of researchers who are incredibly, incredibly productive, uh, and they all have one thing in common. They prioritise. They not don't just have a, a to-do list. They have a, a to-do list that they revisit on a regular basis. It's not just an hourly thing. It's you know every you know, two or three times in an hour sometimes, these guys are checking that to-do list and they're reordering things and saying, no, this now needs to be my priority. Okay, time's running out. Now this needs to be my priority. And they ruthlessly prioritize. And the things which don't make the cut, they don't get high enough up that list, they get cut. Now they're being sensible, they're being polite, they're being responsible about the things that they take on in the first place. And if they do need to delay something because it slipped down that priority list, they're getting those extensions, they're explaining what's going on rather than being a slave to uh, the deadline and to uh, pleasing the people who are going to perhaps be disappointed that they didn't quite make that deadline. Uh, and to be able to ruthlessly prioritise like this, these people have another thing in common. These people, uh, in my experience, have uh, at least one core principle or goal that they have in their mind at all times that enables them to intuitively reorder these things that they've got to do every day uh, so that they can keep the most important things at the top and not waste time doing things which actually ultimately don't really count towards the things that they're trying to achieve. And I think the great thing about this is that uh, when I say ruthlessly prioritise, it means that you're not actually ruthless about your to-do list. Because now, because you've got this, this, this core principle um, in your mind, when a student knocks on your door in the floods of tears needing your help, you aren't just saying, I haven't got time, I've got a to-do list, I need to get this done by the time I go home. You're actually saying, you know what, because of that, principle that I've got which is helping me to organise things, I'm now cutting everything on that to-do list, putting everything aside and focusing on this situation, this person who is sitting here in front of me now. 
And you do that with no sense of regret, no sense of, oh, I really ought to be doing something else and I'm going to do something now that I don't feel comfortable with. When you go home at the end of that day, you don't have any sense of regret that you didn't achieve all those things on your to-do list because actually you did something fundamentally important that afternoon by giving that student your time. Now, there's a third thing that I think you need to, to do if you want to be able to effectively prioritise. And this is whether you want to prioritise uh, generating impact or prioritise uh, anything else. Uh, and that is to make sure that you try and do at least one thing every single day, well, every work day at least, that helps you to move closer to that core principle or goal that you've got that is helping you to organise everything that you do. Uh, I think that that sense that you have when you go home uh, from a day of meetings and you just feel like you wasted your day or a day of just sending emails and doing random things, uh, you feel like it's a wasted day. Now, yeah, you've been working, you've been working hard, you've been stressed, but it feels like a wasted day for one reason, and that reason is that you didn't move any closer to your core goals and you didn't do anything that fundamentally connected with your core principles and values. And I think that you know, if you can just spend five minutes in a day doing one task that connects with that core goal or principle, then when you get to the end of that day, it might have felt like, yeah, I was in meetings, I was answering emails all day, but you know what? I feel like I achieved something because I did that one thing in that five minutes that brought me closer. Now, Gary Keller and Jay Patterson in The One Thing uh, book talk about the idea of, of just having one core purpose, one core goal around which you organise everything else in your life. Now, I think that's maybe taking things a little bit too far, but I think the point they're trying to make here is the power of having that one single important thing. And I think part of the power of this is the, the memorability of it. If you have just one thing that you can hold in your mind at all times, then it really helps when you get stuck in the heat of the moment where you've got a million things all happening at once and someone is suddenly... Uh, calling you up and saying, you have to do this and you've got to do it by tomorrow or you've got to take this piece of work on. It's going to be three months of your life, but you have to do it. And there are all these other motives that suddenly come in. I want to please this person. Uh, it's going to tick some boxes on, on my, my, my promotion application. It's whatever else. There's a whole load of reasons why you should say yes. And that person who's asking you is probably telling you all the reasons why you should say yes. But there's that niggle. And very often we ignore that niggle because we can't articulate it, we don't quite know what it is, and we say yes, and then that night, or perhaps two weeks into that three-month task, we think to ourselves, why did we do that? Why did we say yes? What was that all about? And, and we regret it, and we want to get out of it, but by then it's too late, and we end up wasting time and feeling really unmotivated. So for me, I have uh, a core goal, um, and I have a, a core principle that I try and hold in my mind at all times. And I've tried to memorize it so that it's there. I try and bring it to, to consciousness uh, at least once per day. 
so that it, it is always uh, at my fingertips if I need to make a snap decision at any point I can call these things into my mind. Uh, so I'll share them with you just so that you get a sense of what this might be like. Um, and so uh, the, the core goal that I have is that I want to change the way that researchers around the world generate knowledge so that their ideas can change the world. Um, you'll see it on the Fast Track Impact website in various places. I've written this sentence because this is fundamentally what I want to achieve. It's what I want to achieve with this podcast. It's what I want to achieve with my blogs, with my Twitter stream, with my business, with my research, with my teaching, with everything that I do. This is this is the goal that, that I am bending myself towards. But underpinning that, there's a, a core principle. Uh, and that principle uh, is simply empathy through knowledge, knowledge through empathy. So, my message today is to get your priorities straight. And if your priorities are linked to your motives, uh, and your motives typically are linked to your values, uh, essentially who you are, your, your identity, then you will just need one priority in life. You will just need one core goal, one core principle, and that then can transform your productivity day by day so that you achieve way more than you ever dreamt possible. And of course, if this is part of what you're trying to achieve, uh, the ability to get impacts from your research. So every week I like to give you some kind of task or activity that can help you to work through the main segment and apply this in your day-to-day -day life before uh, you come to next week's podcast. And this week I'd like to ask you to draw for me a pie chart. So get a piece of paper, draw a big circle on it, dot in the middle, you're going to turn this into a pie chart. And what I want you to try and draw for me is a pie chart of your identity, who you are. Uh, and I want you to try and uh, divide up the segments and make their size proportional to how important each of these different aspects of your identity is to you. So perhaps you are, uh, in large part, um, a father or a son or uh, a spouse. Perhaps you are a researcher, uh, a teacher. Perhaps you are creative. Perhaps you are spiritual. Perhaps you are a sportsman. Perhaps, uh, I, I don't know, whatever the list is, uh, draw these out and uh, create the size of each slice of that pie proportional to how important this is to who you are, what, what makes you up, uh, what is uh, essentially you. Now that you've done that, I want you to turn the, the piece of paper over and I'd like you to draw uh, another circle. And this time I'd like you to try and uh, transcribe each of the pie segment titles, but this time instead of allocating uh, the size to their importance, I want you to make the size of each slice proportional to the amount of time that you spend in your life 
being in each of these roles. So in my case, um, the, on my identity as uh, a father and, uh, and a spouse, um, probably takes up half of, of who I sense I am on a day-to-day basis, who I feel I am, who I want to be perhaps. Um, uh, but in reality, I spend far more time working than I do being these things. And that is, of course, a, a, a source of dissonance, um, of discomfort to me. Now, as you do this, most of us um, will discover that the proportion of those pie fragments is quite different between the two drawings. How different those two pie charts are uh, will normally be proportional to the amount of dissonance that we feel in our lives and how happy we feel with who we are, where we're going, and where our priorities lie. If our priorities are not aligned with who we fundamentally feel we are, or perhaps who we want to be, then there'll be this this uneasy sense on a daily basis that we're kind of not in the right place, and we're not doing the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right people, and a sense of being a bit lost. And of course, the answer to that is to try and spend more time realigning your time as much as possible with your identity so that you feel you are being the person you want to be. And of course, the way in which we do that is through our priorities. And so essentially this is a task about trying to connect your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month priorities and those to-do lists that you've got, those items on your to-do list, with those much more fundamental things about who we are and our values and hence our motives. And I think that if we can do this, each of us, as, as a task and start to align our values with our motives, with our priorities and hence the time that we spend doing what we do day in, day out, then we can far more powerfully find priorities that we are fundamentally motivated to do and hence we do well and achieve highly in and that enable us to get that sense of real satisfaction at the end of every day, every week, every month, every year, moving forward in a way that we feel really, uh, really comfortable with. So for many of this, this might actually be a lesson about working less, taking more time off. Um, For many of us, it might be uh, changing the priorities of uh, what we're doing and who we're collaborating with in our research and the amount of time that we are actually putting in our diary, in our schedule, in our to-do lists, in our priority lists to do with impact. If we are genuinely serious about making a difference from our research, uh, you might have that as an intrinsic goal. Yeah, of course I want to make a difference for my research. Of course I want to be well known. Of course I want to uh, find out more and be more curious and do cooler research uh, that links to impact. That might be what we say, what comes out of our mouth, but if that isn't reflected in our priority lists and what we do every day and every week, then we probably won't actually achieve what we want uh, and we will be disappointed in ourselves. So, Get your priorities straight this week, if you can, and get them aligned with who you are, who you want to be fundamentally. And I guarantee you will feel amazing about doing amazing things. Mm